Thank you, Madison. That was a long passage of Scripture, and you did a very good job. If you have your Bibles, we are in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, as Madison has already read to us. Again, thank you for being with us. I would remind all of our parents and grandparents, any of you volunteers who have anything to do with our student ministry, um, there is a meal afterward. If you're a guest with us and you're remotely related to our student ministry, we want you to come and eat. There will be plenty of food, and uh, there's peach cobbler, okay? So um, even if, you know, it's, it's, it's a good opportunity. Our children are in with us this morning. They're not always in with us. Um, but uh, did think it's a neat idea for them to have an opportunity to, to look up on the stage and see where some of them will be just this time next year and where some will be in just a few more years after that. So uh, they're with us, uh, parents and children. Here's what I do with my little ones. I always ask them at the end of the service, they need to be able to tell me three things I talked about. Three things. I don't have time to hear from you all, three of your things, but I'd love to hear from all of our kids one thing that you picked up in our sermon. Parents, go home or come to the youth luncheon or wherever you're going to go and ask your kids, what are are three things that Pastor Craig talked about so that we can help them to engage? It's important that they learn to grow up and understand what it is to engage in the preaching of God's Word. The parable of the sower. One of the things um, that is not possible is for us to unsee something once we've seen it. Have you ever tried to unsee something? Uh, how, many, how many children of like the 80s and 90s do we have in here? Now, go ahead, you're not that old, just raise your hands. And even if you're not a child of the 80s or 90s, you remember the 80s and the 90s, or maybe you had children in the 80s and the 90s. And you remember those, those little posters that they put on the wall, and it just looked like a collection of weird things. But if you stared at it long enough, supposedly there was an image in those posters, Right? A little 3D image, and, and if you looked at it just the right way, it would jump off the page, and there it was. You ever noticed that once you saw it, you couldn't unsee it? You may spend an hour, you look back at some of the time we've wasted, spend an hour trying to figure out what's on a picture, but you may spend an hour or more just trying your best to see that image or to find Waldo, but once you found it, it's like, I can't believe I didn't see it all along. It jumps off the page, and what we have seen, we cannot then unsee this is why when we, we um, in, uh, I'm, I've always been amazed at when a, a, a trial goes to a jury trial and a jury is instructed not to think about something that they have seen. The reality is once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. When it comes to the parable of the sower, we read this parable ourselves and in so doing, we don't understand why in the world the disciples were so thick-headed that they didn't understand it. We read this parable and go, well, duh, it makes perfect sense. But understand, the only reason that it makes so much sense to us is because we've been given not just the parable, but the explanation. If it were possible to unsee what you have already seen and to unknow what you already know, then you would hear this parable. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. And perhaps Jesus is sitting on the sea and he's explaining all these things. And he's motioning to a sower behind the people. He's saying, look! Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And 98% of the people sitting there listening to Jesus scratched their heads because they had no idea what in the world he was talking about. Hey, we heard that you're a miracle worker, you're a healer, you're a great preacher, and you're sitting here pointing at a guy who's planting his field, and you're telling us a story about agriculture. The disciples weren't all that thick-headed. It's difficult for us to grasp what's going on here without being given the key to understanding it. The thing about a parable is a parable is only understandable from the inside of the parable. You can't understand the parable on the outside without having been given the key to understand it. The disciples say, what in the world does this mean? When he was alone with them, Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Folks, understand this. And in just a moment, we're going to talk a lot about the gospel. But understand this, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel, when it comes to people being exposed to the gospel in preaching services, it is only through the intervening power of the Holy Spirit that the Word of God will take root in the lives of people. Unless the Holy Spirit goes ahead and works through this Word... We have no hope. Now we can use all sorts of different words to talk about the way the Holy Spirit works. Whether the Holy Spirit works to convict of sin or whether the Holy Spirit works to regenerate people and draw them into salvation. The reality is He works in all of those ways. Regardless of exactly how it is that the grace of God is applied, the reality is this. Unless God's grace is applied... We will never, ever understand the truths of God's Word. That's the reason that when we go to the Word of God and we read it, we should pray, Lord God, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. It's why when you gather in your homes or you go to bed at night and you pray for these worship services on Saturdays or on Sunday mornings, it's why you should pray, Lord God, send your Holy Spirit among us to work. Jesus said to the disciples, it's been given to you the key to the kingdom. For those outside, everything's in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. The harsh truth of God's word and God's providence towards us is God gives us what we want. And when we do not want to hear the word of the Lord, then we will hear this word as not of the Lord, but as only a written word of the man. What do you want to hear this morning? What do you long for? Did you show up here this morning looking for hope? Can I assure you of this? You will find it right here. Now, when it comes to this parable, a lot of people like to focus on the soils. There are four soils that are mentioned in this parable. Okay, there are three bad soils and there is one good soil. Let me just say that it's pretty clear in this passage of scripture that the three bad soils do not produce salvation. 
This passage of Scripture teaches us that salvation is about much more than an experience. Salvation is about the indwelling, powerful, life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is more than all who call the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is absolutely all who call the name of the Lord will be saved. But all who are saved, according to the book of 1 John, from the first of it all the way to the end, begin to look like Jesus. There's a warning in here. That just because you had a religious experience once upon a time, it is very possible. As a matter of fact, many will stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do things? And Jesus may say, the seed of the gospel fell among the thorns in your life. And when it should have been taking root, you allowed the cares and the worries of the world to choke it out. And you never gave me your life. There are some who stood up and screamed and shouted at what God did in their life on one day and immediately the hot, rocky soil burned it up and two days later they had forgotten what God had done. There are some who have heard the Word of God as though it were on a hard, beaten path. And in the middle of a worship service, you felt a stirring from the Lord. But you walked out the front door and forgot that anything had ever happened. But then there are others for whom the Word of God found deep, rich soil. And the Word of God took root. Can I just say a couple things about the soil? The first thing that I want to say to you is good soil where the root takes deepest root is broken and abused soil. Do you know that? Do you know what it takes to prepare fresh new ground to receive seed and produce an abundant crop? It must be plowed and plowed and plowed. The rocks must be removed. The weeds must be killed. Did you show up here today beaten and abused? Hurt and hopeless? You're exactly the kind of person that Jesus is looking for. But for all the conversation about the soil and about whether or not people have received the gospel on good soil, I want you to know this morning that this parable has as its focus Not the soil, but the sower. If we were to take the subject of this sentence, the subject of this parable, we begin in the very beginning, and he began to teach by the sea. And he says, listen, behold, a sower went to sow. Jesus doesn't begin with, listen, behold, let me talk to you about the soil. Jesus says, behold, the sower went to sow. We could spend a lot of time in here this morning wrestling through what kind of soil exists out there and perhaps what kind of soil exists in my life. But the purpose of this parable is to remind God's people that they have a responsibility to be sowing the seeds of God's Word in the world around them. we got a responsibility to see God's kingdom come to earth through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What three things can we walk away with from this parable? What are the appropriate ways to share the gospel? 
let's just short circuit this to the end real quick and say almost all of them are appropriate, okay? There are some inappropriate ones, right? And we, could, we won't get into all that today, but almost all of them are appropriate. So long as you're not engaging in sin to share the gospel, it's a pretty appropriate way to go about sharing the gospel, right? The D.L. Moody quote is my favorite one when it comes to this. A woman approached D.L. Moody one time and said, Dr. Moody or Brother Moody or Pastor Moody, whatever they called him, said, I don't like the way you share the gospel. He said, ma'am, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of it either. How do you share it? Maybe you could teach me. She said, well, I don't. He said, well, I like my bad way a whole lot better than I like your no way. Keep that in mind. All right. What do we get? What three things we're going to walk away with today? Appropriate ways. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that there's a responsibility to prepare the soil. Folks, listen, much attention, as I've mentioned, has and can be paid to the condition of the soils, but the focus is not on the soil, but on the sower. He's the subject. Our job is not to assess the condition of the soil or of the heart of people, but only to be obedient to Christ. Do you hear me? It's not your job to ever say, well, that person could never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, it's your job to love them to Jesus. We'll trust the rest up to Him. Prepare the soil. Now, listen, we're going to get to the gospel in a minute, but before we do, I want us to consider what it might look like to prepare the soil to receive the Word of God. What might it look like? Now, first, before we consider what it looks like to do it in somebody else's life, I want you to consider what it looks like to prepare the soil of your own heart to receive the Word of God. What's it look like to create a situation in your own life where you are regularly sensitive and open to the reception of God's Word? As God's people, those of you who've given your life to Christ, it looks like regularly, regularly living a life of humble obedience. Regularly submitting to the commands and expectations of God's Word. It looks like acknowledging on a regular basis that you don't have it all figured out. It looks like acknowledging on a regular basis that this is the only standard of life and this is the place that you must go all the time. Those of you who don't belong to Jesus, I'm curious, are you here today and you've never given your life to Jesus? Is it possible that you are so hard-hearted that you wouldn't respond to the gospel today no matter how much I pleaded with you this morning? As Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man in hell screamed up to Lazarus, would you please go back and tell? I want him to go tell my family. Surely if someone came back from the dead and told them, then they would turn and they would repent and they would be saved. The Bible says that Abraham said, even if one were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't turn. I'm curious. If someone rose from the grave today and stood in front of you and proclaimed the good news of the gospel, proclaimed Jesus as the only hope, is there some of you here today who have so tuned yourself out to the potential hope of salvation in Jesus that even that wouldn't be enough? Prepare the gospel or prepare the soil of your own heart. If you've decided today there's nothing I can say that will change your mind, then let me urge you, open your mind to the possibility that you are wrong. Maybe, just maybe, you are a big part of, your pro of the problem in your own life. 
You've spent time blaming God for all of your problems or blaming Christians for why you aren't one or aren't in the church. Or you've seen all the abuse that's beginning to come out even in the evangelical church. And you're saying, see, I told you, I told you. And all the time, you've been sharpening your sword without looking in the mirror and saying, where in the world am I wrong? Maybe, just maybe, the biggest problem in your life stares you in the mirror every single morning. Maybe... God actually has something to offer you. Maybe you don't have it all figured out. Maybe, just maybe, it is time that since your way has failed, you consider another. If you're here today and you've shut yourself off to the possibility of salvation, could I challenge you this morning to consider beginning right now to plow the soil of your own heart and make it possible for the seed of God's Word to take root here today? Second, when we consider what it looks like to prepare the hearts for the gospel, prepare the soil for the gospel, we need to consider as Christians what it looks like to prepare the hearts of others. A whole bunch of people in our world today are not yet ready to receive the gospel. Now some of you believe that sounds anti-evangelical, just hold on. Consider a recent poll from Pew Research. Only 56% of Americans believe in God as described in the Bible. Now, I stand up and I preach regularly that when we begin to talk about God, people don't know what we're talking about. And I regularly have some of y'all, not argumentative and not ugly, but I regularly have some of y'all approach me and say, I don't actually think that's possible. And I'm here to tell you that according to this research poll, 56% of Americans say, Americans say, yes, I believe in God, and I believe in God as described in the Bible. 23% say, I believe in some sort of higher spiritual power. 9% of Americans say, I don't believe in God, but I do believe in a higher spiritual force. That is not the God of the Bible. 10% say, I don't believe in God or a higher power of any kind. 19% say, I don't believe in God at all, or I don't really believe in a, in a physical God. I just sort of believe there's something out there. You know, 20%, that's one in five Americans. And just barely more than half say that they believe in the God as described in the Bible. We've got to engage in pre-evangelism. We've got to engage in the process of helping people to understand who it is, who this God is that we're talking about before we can even get to a place of helping them to understand that they are sinners and in need of reconciliation with this God. What's it look like to prepare the soil for the gospel? Looks like helping people to understand what this book is about. We're going to have to be patient with people as we seek to share the gospel. But it's not just that. we got to acknowledge that we haven't helped our cause much either when some of our commitments as evangelicals don't sit well with American culture. Now, we know that there are some of these commitments, some of these issues like morality and marriage that we must cling to. What the Scripture teaches in the face of the culture that opposes them. we got to understand that when we stand on the Word of God, we are necessarily, because of the pre-commitments of many within our culture, going to be opposed. 
But even so, we continue to stand on the Word. But we do it how, according to 1 Corinthians 13? Not just in truth, but in love. How do we explain this Word? In love. But we also need to understand that we've not always clung to the Scriptures. We haven't helped ourselves when we've clung to political and cultural positions that are unbiblical. For instance, in a recent poll, or a recent poll shows that white evangelicals are the least likely to agree that the United States has a responsibility to accept refugees. Among evangelical white Americans, only 25% say that the U.S. has a responsibility, moral responsibility, to accept refugees from other countries. That might be your political position. But it does not square with God's word that says we are to care for aliens and orphans and widows. Who is the alien? The alien is that one that has nowhere else to go. And when we stand up and we stomp our foot and we say we will not, somebody stands up and shakes the Bible and says, how dare you, hypocrite. And we look in the mirror and go, yes, we are. And for those of you that don't think it happens, I'm going to go all the way back to a mission trip that Brian and I were on in London eight years ago. And as we stood there and I listened to a Christian stand up and scream from a ladder about the hatefulness of Islam. I saw a young Islam man raise his hand and say, can I see your Bible, sir? He says, sure. He says, I want to know how you can say all that and, 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 and deal with the fact that Jesus tells you to take up a sword. And that man who's screaming about Islam said, Jesus would never say that. And Brian was standing there and I wanted to melt into the pavement. Because Jesus absolutely did say that. And that man had spent so much time being engaged in a political argument that he had not engaged in being obedient to the Word of God. And we debated for an hour into the dark. And we as evangelicals want to cling to our political priorities without considering what the Word of God teaches. And then we wonder why nobody wants to hear. We better be known as people of the book and nothing else. Everything else serves this and we serve it. It comes above every other commitment that we have. And when we choose, we pick and choose which parts of this that we want to be obedient to and hold people accountable to, you know what we do? We open the door and say, please call me a hypocrite. Please affect my credibility so that my gospel, Jesus' gospel, can be challenged. Engage in pre-evangelism. We need to earn the right to share the gospel. But we can't stop once we have the opportunity. But we have to earn the right. Do you understand that? Nobody in this world necessarily has the responsibility to listen to anything we have to say. We have the best news on the planet, but they don't have to hear it. We better be earning the right. Bake them some cookies. Buy your way in. I don't care how you do it, but you better earn the right. Earn it. You owe them the respect as image bearers of God to treat them as human beings and not as gospel targets. 
So prepare the soil. Second, spread the seed. Now Jesus talks about this man went out and he sowed the seed. Spread the gospel. Spread it wide. Now listen, the sower in this parable certainly knew that bad soil wouldn't produce a crop. Okay? We got to get past our sort of um, uh, misunderstandings about the ancient world. Ancient people were not dumb. They were ignorant to some of the technological advances that we know today, but they weren't out of their minds. You understand? Ancient people absolutely were not. It's not as though this man was so ignorant of agriculture that he went, huh, I bet you if I dump a bunch of seed in among these rocks, then I'm going to get a really good return. This man knew good and well that the place for him to get the best return was in the very good plowed soil. And yet, he spread it wide. Why? Well, maybe he knew that there might be good soil in places that he didn't expect. Maybe the sower got among the rocky soil. Now, when it talks about the rocky soil, it's not necessarily talking about rocky soil like they were sowing it in our flower beds out front here. Okay? So, so in, 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 in the area around ancient Israel, there were some, some um, areas where the soil was rocky beneath the surface. So the issue would have been um, maybe solid slabs of rock that would have made it nearly impossible for the, the water to absorb well, for the root to go down deep. And so on the surface it might have looked fine, but just below the surface things were a little bit bad. So maybe he knew that in this general area it was pretty rocky, but maybe he said, I might not know everything. Perhaps the man was humble enough to say, there might be something there that I don't realize. And he scattered the seed in the rocky areas. Why did it fall along the path? Well, it fell along the path and among the thorns. Why? Because this man was so overfilled with seed when he went out to sow that as he walked, it just sort of spilled out. Folks, are you so filled with the good news of Jesus that it just sort of spills out in all the places you go? Are you? Remember, the subject here is the sower. What are you doing to sow the gospel? Sow it. Spread it. Proclaim it. Do it in all sorts of ways. Pass out tracts. Give out Bibles. Preach. Teach. Evangelize. Students, do it in the hallways. Do it in the classroom. Share the gospel on your sports teams and in the band. Adults, do it on your job. Do it at Walmart. Sam's Club. I was at Sam's Club last night. Had me one of those hot dogs. That is the best hot dog in America. Tell them the good news. Somebody approached me at Lowe's yesterday. Just wanted to talk to me. What do I need to do in that place? I don't know this person. Where do you live? Can I invite you to church? Now they gave me one of those responses that so unarmed me, I failed completely. But nevertheless, do we, do we, do we sort of let the gospel leak out? Do we cast it everywhere? What a shame it would be if we go, hey, that guy looks like He's ripe for the gospel. I'm going to go give it to him. And in so doing, I completely ignore everybody else around me. That is not what this passage of Scripture is urging us to do. It's not about the soil. It's about the sower. And the sower went out and he spread it everywhere. You know what? He certainly found out. He certainly discovered there was some good soil in places that he didn't expect. You know what? You're going to find that out. If you'll be serious about sharing the gospel, you're going to find there are people that are eager to hear it in ways that you never expected. I'll, I'll never forget the day I shared the gospel with the guy at the gym. And he said, can we pray? I said, absolutely. Come on, we'll step out in my truck. He said, I want to do it now. 
Right here over the bench? Yes. Okay. And we did. I like Gideons. We support Gideons here in different ways. We have some Gideons in our church. The Gideon ministry believes in the power of the Word of God. Now listen, Gideons know that their form of evangelism is not very efficient. Now they keep incredible statistics. They can tell you how many testaments they give out for every convert, approximately every convert they get. And it's, it's a bunch. They know it's not efficient. Now when I say efficient, what I mean is an efficient use would be for every time I share the gospel, a person is converted. All right? There are more efficient ways to share the gospel. But they're not worried about efficiency. They're worried about casting it broad and wide and trusting in the power of the God to take root. That same mission trip when we were in London, we worked with a ministry called K-180 Ministries. The guy's name was Martin who led the ministry. They, did, they engaged in street preaching. Now, street preaching, not just like your one-on-one evangelism for the most part. I mean legit street preaching. They set up, they stand up on something, and they just scream. They let it roll. Now, they're, they're, they're polite. They're not rude. They're not the angry type, right? They're just trying to bring people in and give them the good news. He looked at me. He said, we know this is not an efficient form of sharing the gospel. He said, but we also know that we're going to reach people that no one else has a chance to reach. Spread the word. That's what this wants us to understand. We got a job. Spread it. Go. Tell the good news. But finally, just as Martin would advocate, just as our Gideons advocate, spread the word and trust the Creator. Those, who, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now listen, let me tell you what the original hearers of this parable understood. They didn't understand much about this, but they understood this. They understood that if, so, if, if, a, so, if a farmer went out and spread seed and it returned a yield of 100-fold, they understood that man just got rich in a hurry. They understood that something unnatural had happened. They understood that that was a miracle. Folks, when we go and we proclaim the Word of God, we're praying for a miracle every single time. We're praying for a miracle. Because when Jesus saves a sinner, you know what He does? He brings the dead to life. I've been helping some guys building a playground out back. We are all anxious for the playground to be done. And Lord willing, by next Sunday, it will be. I stood up there the other day, looked out across that cemetery. Man, I could preach all day long and nobody's going to get up out of there. They're not listening anymore. It's impossible. With man, but with God, all things are possible. When we share the good news of the gospel, we're praying for a miracle. God, bring somebody back from the dead. <coughs> They're dead in their sins and their trespasses. They can be made alive the gospel of Jesus. But not only are we praying for a miracle, we're trusting God to bring the increase. We should beg and plead. We should have hearts that are burdened for the lost. We should proclaim the good news and we should find ourselves on our faces praying to God that He would draw them in and save them. If I were to ask you especially parents and grandparents of wayward children. How many of you find yourself praying with tears, Lord, save my children? I'm going to tell you something. 
When we pray, we pray to God. When we pray for the salvation of those we love, we pray to God knowing that He is responsible for salvation. Do you know that? That's how we pray, isn't it? Because we pray, God, save them. And as we proclaim the good news of the gospel, we've got to trust that God is responsible. I go, I preach, I teach, I share, I give, I pass out, I do whatever I do. But in all of these things, I'm praying to God to give a miracle. Craig Thompson's never going to save anybody. And let me tell you something. If they're saved because of my efforts, there's a good chance they didn't get saved at all. They need to be saved because God intervened. Now, I didn't say, I didn't mean, let me back up, that I shouldn't work hard to bring people to Jesus. That's not what I meant at all. I'm just saying that without the intervention of the Holy Spirit of God, there is no salvation. We trust Him with the full confidence that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. Every single soul. So I ask you this morning. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? You see, the primary thrust of this passage is to those of you who belong to Jesus to get serious about proclaiming the gospel. But I would be remiss as a follower of Jesus Christ standing behind this pulpit this morning if I didn't look out across this congregation and say to you who are here who don't know the Lord Jesus as a Lord and Savior that today can be the day of your salvation. The Bible is very plain and clear. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one. And because of that sin, we deserve hell. We deserve it. We earn it. And yet God, who is rich in mercy and grace, has provided a way of salvation to all who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers here today, you should be praying that God would do a miracle. And those of you who don't know the Lord today should be praying, Lord God, do the miracle in me because He will. You are not so far from Jesus that He cannot or will not save you. Would you come today and be saved? Would you come today and be changed? Would you come today and be rescued? You say, Pastor, I don't know if I am the good soil. Let me tell you this. If you will come today, you are. Because He has never turned away one soul who came to Him. This might be Youth Sunday, but it's an incredible opportunity for any one of you to give your life to Jesus. This Sunday we honor, or we, we recognize Memorial Day tomorrow. Those who have given their life so that we might have freedom. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus gave his life so that you might live in eternity with him. Would you come today and receive Jesus? Would you come today and be saved? Would you walk away from your burdens and your sin? And would you come to Christ? The amazing thing about Jesus is when you show up at the foot of the cross, He doesn't say, look at what you did. He says, look at who I am. 
and look at who you are in me. Would you come today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory. Father, we thank you for your word that never returns void, as Madison read to us earlier. Thank you for Jesus who died that we may live. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, and I pray, Lord God, that the Spirit of God would work among us, in us, through us, that you would draw sinners into yourself, save them. Lord God, that you would take your children and convict us of our laziness. Send us out, Lord God, with the amazing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread it far and wide and to trust, God, that as we do, as we share, and as we pray, and as we love, that, Lord God, you will save people. That's why you sent Jesus into the world, to save your people from their sin. Work today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?